I don't know if you noticed, but I think this song has been sung at this point three weeks in a row. The first time it was sung, I was in Washington, D.C. And I didn't hear it the first time. But then, on last week, I heard it for the first time. And the reason why, I, I went and I, after service, I went and talked with my brother Jeff. I said, Jeff, I don't often do this, but can you guys sing that song again? Because while I was in Washington, D.C., I was in Washington, D.C. several weeks ago. And there was a word that the Lord has spoken to me. And that word was foundations. Foundations. This morning we're going to talk about how important it is to have a firm foundation. Especially in the times that we're living in. Like I said a couple weeks ago, the Lord placed on my heart that word. I was at the seat of our government in Washington, D.C. I thought about the White House where President Biden resides and he's the seat of the executive branch of our government. I thought about the Capitol building where Congress governs from. And of course it serves as the seat of our legislative branch of government. And lastly, I thought about the Supreme Court where our justices judge landmark cases and serves as the seat of the judicial branch of our government. Y'all didn't know y'all were going to get a civics lesson this morning. As I thought about these governing bodies, again, that word foundations jumped out at me. And so, of course, if you know me, I like to look up words. And so I looked up in the Hebrew what the word foundations meant. It means to found, to fix, to establish, to lay a foundation, to begin, to be founded. A support or stay, a stay keeps something back. In the New Testament, it meant laid down as a foundation, the foundation of a building, a wall, a city. As a metaphor, the foundations, the beginnings, the first principles of an institution or a system of truth. Foundations. It also means to, to lay a foundation to make stable or establish. So I looked it up in the original Hebrew Looked it up in the original Greek. But then I went to Merriam-Webster as well. It means the support upon which something rests. The foundation of a building. The foundation of a nation. So that begs a question. How important is the foundation of a building? In short, a foundation plays three major vital roles in the construction of any building. Number one, its primary purpose is to support the load of an entire building. Now, I'm not an expert in these things, but something that I 
think I understand is the bigger or taller a building is, the deeper the foundation has to go. Not only that, it has to be even the more solid if it's going to uphold a huge, tall building. A well-designed and strong foundation keeps the building standing while the forces of nature wreak havoc. That'll preach all by itself. Well-built foundations keep the occupants of the building safe during calamities such as an earthquake, floods, strong winds, and other potential disasters. And lastly, the foundation must be built so that it keeps the ground moisture from seeping in and weakening the structure. In other words, a foundation has to be sealed and free from defect to keep bad things from corrupting it. The very same thing that we've just talked about concerning actual buildings applies to institutions and to individuals as well. Jesus uses these principles in a parable he tells in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. I was ready, so. Matthew 7, verse 24. We're actually going to, I'm going to read this, but we're actually going to come back to it later starting at verse 21. But right now, Jesus is telling this parable and he says in verse 24, oh, I'm about to start in the wrong place, here we go. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so I'm not going to break this down yet. We're going to do that in a little bit. But you may be asking the question, why is this word foundations on my heart? Why did God place that word? on my heart. The reason being is our foundations are under attack. And they're slowly being destroyed. And it's something we need to talk about. Our government, we were founded as a constitutional republic slash democracy, but we are quickly becoming a socialist nation. Now, I'm going to warn you. Actually, it's probably too late. I'm going to get a little political here. Our schools, the removal of the Ten Commandments, prayer, and the Bible from our school systems was basically the rejection of God, his wisdom, his blessings, his kingdoms. And now our schools are run by vain philosophies and practices. Our families, strong families undergirded by the God-given institution of marriage used to be the American standard. 
But that began to erode with the sexual revolution of the 60s and continued with the acceptance of homosexuality, gender bending, and the rejection of traditional marriage and relationships as the norm. Oh, it got a little bit quiet in here now. When the foundation of a building is weakened, what happens? It falls. If it's not treated immediately, it falls. When the foundations of a nation, a people, or an individual are weakened because they've come under attack, what happens? They all eventually fall if they're not dealt with immediately. And here is what the result is. Chaos. Chaos. How else can you explain the chaos that now exists in our government, the chaos that exists in our schools, the chaos that exists in many of our families, and the chaos that is breaking out in our streets? Now, some of you might not like me after this. Consider this. Now, I'm going to ask a simple question. Why do you lock the doors of your home? You want to control who enters your house, how they enter your house, and when they enter your house. That's a pretty simple question. Then please explain to me why our government is struggling with this principle when it comes to our borders. Now, I'm not trying to be Democrat or Republican. I don't care about either of those. I'm just talking about simple common sense. And what I want to point out is the reason why our government is struggling with this is because the foundations are under attack. That we can't even take care of simple things like the security of our nation. Here's another one. What did we think was going to happen when we put forth policies like defunding the police? Now, I understand the need for police reform in certain places. Don't get me wrong. But now we have many of our major cities descending into chaos because police are outnumbered and the politicians appear powerless to do anything about it. Have you watched the news lately? People being attacked in the streets people being attacked in subways, and they're boldly doing it, knowing that even if they get caught, they're going to be turned out back into the streets like that. Chaos. Chaos. Here's another one. If a young child, how many of you have young children? Let me ask this question. Do you control what they eat? Because they're not old enough yet to decide what they're going to eat themselves. Because I know when I was a child, if I got to choose what I wanted to eat, it'd be cake all day. <laughs> and ice cream in the evening. Well, if a young child is not old enough 
to choose what they're going to eat. Why in the world are we foolish enough to believe that they can choose their own gender? See, these are things we have to talk about. And the reason why we need to talk about these things, because as saints, we need to know where God stands on these things. Number one, a child choosing their own gender. Wait a minute, didn't God already do that? Number two, it creates greater confusion in the mind of a child. And adults too, you're right. Number three, and here is, here's the danger of all of this. This could result in the child rejecting who God created them to be, therefore rejecting God himself. The reason why I brought these things up, because this is greater than politics, this is demonic, y'all. Telling a child who was born a male that they can be a female because they choose to be. There's a problem. Son, look down. See, but see, here is the, you, we laugh at this. But 10 years ago, did you think we, we would even have to discuss such a thing? The foundations are under attack. Now, when you see this kind of chaos occurring in our society, what are we, as God's people, supposed to do? What do you say? Anybody ever felt that when you watch? Sometimes it gets to the point now you almost hate to turn the television on. Because you don't know what crazy stuff you're going to see next. My wife, my wife was sharing something with me. Now I don't know how true this is, but it would not surprise me if it is true. There's a lot, of, a lot of denial going on about this. Because, you know, there's this talk about what you identify as. I told you you weren't going to like me today. Now they have this thing that may be occurring. Now, I'm not saying it's happening. But if you have young children, watch out for this. They're encouraging children to identify with their whatever animal they choose to. How many have heard about this? Do you know what you're opening up a child to when you start telling them to identify as whatever their favorite animal? All kinds of nonsense. And even more dangerous, demons, spirits. That's what's happening here. That's why we, the church, need to talk about these things. I know in a lot of places, we're not, oh man, you ain't supposed to talk about that kind of stuff. 
but we have to talk about it. And the reason why we need to talk about it because many of our kids attend public schools. Many of our kids participate in many activities with other children. And maybe it's not going on in your house, but they may be playing with Johnny or Betty, who it is happening in their house. And your kids are going to come home with questions. And you need to be ready with answers. The right answers. The right answers. Now, we're not alone this, in this. David asked the same question. Go to Psalm 11. Psalm 11. He starts out in verse 1 saying this, In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the stream, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. And then here's his question. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's a serious question. If the foundations are destroyed, what can God's people do? Uh, what's going on here, David starts out by saying, in the Lord, I put my trust. And then he goes to, he's, what's written here is it possibly some advice from some friends or associates. And they tell him, Flee as a bird to your mountain. But David says, how can you tell me that? Now, why is it that David had that kind of response? Because look at what he says in verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyelids behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness and his countenance beholds the upright. Let me sum that up for you. God is still in control. That's his response to the advice he's given. I'm not fleeing to a mountain. I'm not running away from this because my God is still on the throne. And that should be our response as believers. We're not fleeing to the mountains. We're not going to hide in our homes. No, we're going to confront the enemy. Why? Because our God is still on the throne. Now, why? Why can't we have this confidence? Go to Psalm 45. Psalm 
Verse 6. Our God is still on the throne. And now we're going to see what his throne is established upon. Psalm 45, verse 6, it says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So God's throne will not be moved because God will not be moved. And then he mentions the fact that his scepter is a scepter of righteousness. A scepter, I know that's not a common word that's used by us, but a scepter, if you don't know what that is, is a rod or a staff that represents the authority of a ruler. And David says that his scepter is a scepter of righteousness. Now go to Psalm 89. Psalm 89. I'm going to start at verse 11. The writer of Psalm 89 says, the heavens are yours, speaking of the Lord. The earth also is yours, the world in all its fullness. You have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. The throne of God is established upon righteousness, doing what is right. Also upon justice. In other words, right judgment, right assessing. Remember Jesus mentioned while he walked this earth, judge rightly, judge righteously. That's God's throne is built upon that. And those who seek to walk upright before God take great confidence in this. I'm reminded of Abraham. Go to Genesis 18. I didn't give you this one, Richard. Genesis 18. While you're going there, I'll give you a little background here. Three men visit Father Abraham. Two of the men more than likely are angels. The third man is more than likely, it's the Lord himself. And he comes to reestablish or should I say restate his promise to Abraham and to Sarah that they will have a son. By this time, they still have had no son between the two of them. And Sarah, God, and the other two men, if you will, are having a conversation with Abraham. The Lord restates his promise to Abraham, but Sarah is listening in the background. And when, he, when she hears the Lord restate the promise, she laughs. She laughs. And the Lord, knowing that she laughed, turns and says, why did you laugh? 
Anybody ever been in a situation where you reacted to something in a, like a negative way, but when you were called out on it, you, I, I didn't say that. That was her reaction. Oh, I, I didn't laugh. The Lord said, oh, but you did. And that's what we come to in verse 16. Let's look at verse 16. It says, then the men rose from there. And looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, I want to let you know how important a question this was. That the God of heaven chose to share with Abraham what he was about to do. God doesn't normally do that, especially not during these times. But the reason why he's doing this is because God looks at Abraham more than just his servant. He now considers Abraham a friend. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, I share with you what I'm about to do because I no longer consider you my servants. You're my friends. That's how, and you can go throughout the Old Testament scriptures, also in the book of James as well, they refer to Abraham as God's friend. And so that's why God is asking the question, shall I share with him what I am about to do? Verse 19, for I have known him. Wait a minute, verse 18, I'm sorry. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they Keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So what is happening here, God that said the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is so great that the cry of it has reached his throne. And he says, I'm going to go down to see if the cry of it is actually what I'm hearing. He shares with Abraham what he's about to do. Because see, what's happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm going to sum it up for you. Their society has descended into chaos. Their foundations have been destroyed. So God is coming to assess and to judge. But look at Abram's reaction, Abraham's reaction. Verse 22. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Can you imagine that? He's standing before God. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? 
Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Look, look at the boldness of Abraham. He's saying these words to the Lord. Then he goes on to say, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. He then goes on to say, Lord, wait a minute now. Because God's response to him is, if I find 50, I will spare the cities. Abraham said, okay. Because he knew there wasn't 50 righteous in, Abraham, in Sodom and Gomorrah. How about 40, Lord? He says, yes, I'll spare the city if there are 40. What about 30? It's like he's, you ever been to an auction or something like that? It's, he's, let's get it down lower. Come on, come on, come on. Well, actually, they're trying to get it up higher, but he's trying to get it down. He says, I'll spare the city if I find 30. Then he says, how about 20? I have a movie that comes to my mind, but I probably shouldn't share that with you because you'd be like, ooh, Elder Sutton, you saw that movie? <laughs> That's back in my pre-elder days. <laughs> he goes all the way down to 10. And God says, if I find 10 souls, I'll spare the city. But see, that's not the part that I really want you to focus on. As great as Abraham's intercession was, what really blows me away is the statement he makes to the face of God. Will not the judge of the whole earth do rightly? Why do I bring that up? Because it is important for us in the day that we are living in to understand who God is Know that his throne is established upon righteousness, justice, mercy, and truth, and that the judge of the whole earth will do rightly. He will not judge the righteous with the wicked. In fact, the, yeah, give him praise. There's a place in the scriptures in the New Testament where it says, Judgment begins at the house of God so that the house of God is not judged with the world. The reason why I bring that up is because it can be difficult when you see everything around you falling apart and you're like, God, don't you see? Yes, he does. And he still sits on the throne and he will judge rightly. We have to have utter confidence. I don't say these words lightly. We have to have complete confidence in God's power to keep us and that he is still in control because Things are not going to get better in the world. 
We are seeing things now that we never thought we'd see. We're having discussions that we never thought we would have even 10 years ago. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 7. I said we were going to return there, but I'm actually this time going to start at verse 21. So that's the first thing that we need to do to answer the question, what shall the righteous do when the foundations are being destroyed? Have utter confidence in God and his judgment. I say utter, complete confidence, that's a better word. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Now, this is the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. His Sermon on the Mount actually started in Matthew 5, and he talks about several things. He's preached the Beatitudes where it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And he has several other things that he lists there, and they fall under what we call the Beatitudes. He also states that we as believers are to be salt and light. He speaks about the attitudes of the heart that lead to sinful actions. You know, he talked about the fact that if you commit, you know, if you have sex with someone that's outside of mar your marriage or anything like that, that's adultery. But he says if you look on a woman to lust after her heart, in, in your heart, you've committed sin. So he talks and he says, it's not just about the actions, it's about the attitudes of the heart. He then talks about the sacredness of marriage. I'm going to let them go ahead. I used to be young like that too. <laughs> he talks about the sacredness of marriage that is between a man and a woman. He talks about loving your enemies. He talks about how to pray and to fast. He talks about the fact that we should seek the kingdom of God first. He talks about how to be persistent in prayer with God. And then he mentions the fact that narrow is the way that leads to life and broad is the way that leads to destruction. But then he makes this startling statement. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's a startling statement. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name and then I will declare to them I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He then uses that word therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore in the scriptures, read what came before it because it's connected to what comes after that word. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So I just have something that I want you to do that we should all be doing. You know, if you own a house, there are times where you need to check certain things out to see if things are still good. You don't want something to go beyond the point where it's beyond repair and it costs you a whole lot of money now to fix it when if you had just checked it a little bit earlier, the bill would have been a lot cheaper. Well, it's the same way when it comes to our walk with Christ. There are times where we need to check out where we are. How solid is your foundation? Another way of putting this is how obedient are you to the Lord? Because that's the test here. He says the person that builds their house, or should I say the person who hears what I say and does what I say is like a person who builds their house on the rock. The winds come, the storms come, earthquakes occur, but even after it's all said and done, the house is still standing. But those who hear what he has to say, but don't do. They're like a person who builds their house on sand. Anybody ever build a, built a sand castle? How easy is, is it to knock down? Well, if you continue in disobedience to the Lord, your foundation is easy to break apart. Here is the thing. I like to make things just real. Growing up in my parents' house, when I knew I was doing well, I mean, I was everything they told me to do, I was doing. When something I needed arose, it was a whole lot easier to approach them about what I needed than it was when I had to be like that young man that was just carried out. <laughs> now let me try to approach them about something that I need. Well, it's the same way when you know you're walking with the Lord, when you know you're obeying what he has to say, when the storms come, you're not moved. Not because of your strength, but because of his strength. You've been faithful, and you know he's faithful. But when you have been walking in disobedience, see, here is the thing. Obeying the Lord is a matter of trust. And if you can't obey God when everything is peaceful, what makes you think you're going to obey him when the storms are coming? 
and the earthquakes are coming. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom. He said it this way in another place. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? I was sharing with prophetic breadcrumbs this morning, and I've shared it with other people. How many remember the book about uh, the five love languages? I remember how popular that book was years ago, and I was thinking about it recently, and I remember hearing the Lord, what's my love language? How many know what the Lord's love language is? Obedience. If you love me, you keep my commandments. Now, might probably about to step on some toes right now. That's how come people talk about the hyper grace message. That's the problem with the hyper grace message. Yes, God's grace, he's overflowing with grace, but his grace leads to obedience, not disobedience. So what separates the two groups of people that Jesus addresses is obedience. It's obedience. So the second thing we must do is read what Jesus says, then do what he says, and keep doing what he says, and keep doing what he says. We were talking about Joseph this morning. Joseph, in spite of all of the opposition that he faced, his brothers hated him, sold him into slavery, a woman lies on him, gets him thrown in jail. He interprets the dream of two people, the one person who survives, forgets about him, he remained faithful. He remained, all of that that came against him. How many of us, God, first off, you will let me get sold into slavery by my brothers. Then, man that I'm working for, his wife can't keep her hands off of me. I remain faithful to you and it gets me thrown in jail. Then while I'm in jail, the person that I bless forgets about me and I'm just rotting here in this jail. Joseph remained faithful. He remained obedient. And when his time came, he was ready to receive the promise of God. That's what this is all about, remaining faithful and obedient. Because God is faithful and obedient. The judge of the whole earth will do rightly. And there's one last thing I think we need to do. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. 
Hebrews 11. Now, we know that's the, if you read your Bibles, you know that that's the Faith Hall of Fame chapter. And we're going to talk about Abraham again. We're going to start at verse 8, read down to verse 10. says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham did several things here. Number one, by faith, he left to go to a place, but he didn't know where he was going. Imagine you're sitting in your house. The Lord comes to you, tells you, get up. Leave. And you ask, okay, God, where am I going? Just start walking. I don't know where I'm going. Don't worry, just start walking. That's what Abraham did. By faith, he lived in a place that was promised to him, but he did not possess it. Think about that. This is my land, but I don't own it. All I have is a promise. Why was he able to do this? The Bible says because he looked for a city that has foundations that God has built and established. Here's the implication. The city he looked for was a city that God builds and will remain forever. In other words, his, his, his eyes, his heart wasn't fixed on the here and now. His heart and his mind was fixed on the eternal. Think about this, because this is what we struggle with here in America. Let's just be real. We live in a time, and we've lived in a time where what we want, we can get now. We call, boom, it's delivered to our house. We even give a tip, boom. We get on the internet, our internet service better be working. And it better be the speed that I paid for. Instant, we have microwave oven, stick it in the microwave oven, two minutes later, boom, it's ready and I can eat like that. I want something, if I want it here fast, get on Amazon.com, boom, it's here in two days, especially if I'm a Prime member. But see, God's promises are eternal, which requires that we wait. See, I ain't getting a whole lot of on that. I heard one person. There you go, sis. That's the biggest problem that we face. Abraham, he 
Think about it. I'm leaving a place, not knowing where I'm going. When I get there, I stay in a land that's promised to me, but does not belong to me. But I have the promise that one day it will. Do you know he's still waiting on that promise to be fulfilled? But man, when it's fulfilled, mm, 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 mm. I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for them who love him. And when it says prepared for them who love him, you could replace that prepared for them who obey him. See, I'm talking about all of these things because we need to firm up our foundation while the foundations of the world continue to crumble. That's what I'm trying to establish here because it's not going to change. It's not going to get better. The only way it's going to get better in our nation is if we, I ain't going to even say a Holy Spirit revival. When I came up, if you wanted to really bring some power, you said Holy Ghost revival. That is the only thing that's going to save America. So unless that occurs things are going to continue to get worse. And as they get worse, we need to have our feet planted solidly on the rock. We need to have our hearts fixed on a city whose builder and maker is God Almighty. We need to be ready, if necessary, to suffer the loss of all things so that we may gain what can't be taken from us. See, this is a mindset change. This is the, you have to really, you have to think differently. That's what I want to get across to you. And I hope that's what you're getting. You got to, you can't Think about, I live in America. This is the way things are supposed to be. No, go to Iran and ask them about how things are supposed to be. Where just for having the testimony of Christ, you can lose your life. To praise the Lord, you have to do it underground. If you have a lot of stuff, that's only going to draw attention to you so you don't have much at all. See, when I'm speaking these things to you, I'm also speaking them to me because I'm spoiled too. We have, as believers in the body of Christ, we have to change how we see life. We have to change. We have to, to prepare ourselves for what lies ahead. Parents, you need to prepare your children for what may come. We have to. But see, here is what we need to do. Go to 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to end on this note. 1 John chapter 3. 
starting at verse 1. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. The world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Our eyes are fixed on seeing Jesus. It's all about seeing Jesus because when we see him, we will become like him. We will be transformed. We will be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We'll be like him. Remember when he was raised from the dead? He didn't open any doors. He just appeared before his disciples. Well, one day we're going to have that kind of body. See, that's what we need to get our hearts fixed on. That's what we need to get our hearts fixed on. So I just want to remind you of the things that we need to do in reaction to what's going on around us. Number one, have complete confidence that God still sits on his throne and that he will judge rightly. Number two, hear the words of Jesus, obey the words of Jesus. And number three, keep ever before you the promise and hope of a place that God has built and established that will last forever. Amen? Stand to your feet.